Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is James. I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, just glad to have you here with us this morning. Now, if you've been watching the news uh, within the last month, you might have heard of a guy named Sean Samoys. And, and Samoys became well-known because of, of something somebody else did. You see, <clears throat> a reporter for City News in Toronto, her name was Shauna Hunt. Uh, she was interviewing some fans outside of BMO Field before a Toronto FC game. And while she was interviewing these fans, uh, one of Samoy's friends popped his head in the camera and shouted a very vulgar message. And I can't repeat that message because I would like to have a job tomorrow. Um, so I'm not going to say it. But it was, it was very crude. It was derogatory towards women. And so this has happened to Shauna Hunt quite a few times where people have said this thing in her camera. And so she was frustrated. She couldn't just let it go. And so she goes over to a group of, of men who were there laughing. And it was, it was a group of the guy's friends who had shouted the vulgar message. And she goes and asks, Are you, were you guys waiting around for an opportunity just to say this into the camera? Was that your plan? And do you think it's funny? And so one guy starts going, oh, it's not that bad. And he's saying it's funny. And then Sean Samoys starts speaking. And he's going, it's hilarious. It's funny. And so Shauna Hunt's going, do you realize when you do this, it's, it's derogatory towards um, women, and especially me as a woman. And Sean Samoys is going, oh, it's still funny. And so she asks him, what would your mother say about this? And he goes, my mom, she'd probably think it's hilarious. She'd probably be proud of me. And so in this moment, uh, Samoys thinks he's, he's funny, that he's probably got a lot of people cheering him on. Now, what actually happened after this is uh, the news station tweeted out his picture, and they go, who is this man? And it's going around Toronto. This is being played over and over on different newscasts. And finally, Hydro One goes, that's one of our employees and they weren't proud of him for what he said. And so what happened was within a day, Sean Samoys was fired from his job at Hydro One. Now, this wasn't like a normal everyday job. It wasn't something menial. Uh, his job paid him $106,510 each year. So that was a sizable uh, income to lose just for some comments he said. Now, when Samoys defended his friend, do you think he ever pictured it ending that way, where it would end with him losing his job? Do you think he wakes up every morning going, why did I open my mouth? Why, why couldn't I have just like said nothing and just stood off to the side? Why did I have to jump into the camera? Do you think he regrets what he's saying? Because if he doesn't, he's got to be a slow learner. I can't imagine he's going, I'd say it again if I got the chance. But the question that, that kind of came out of all of this from the comments he made, and he didn't even say the vulgar message. He just defended the guy who said it. But from that, he was fired. And what resulted from all of this was the question, um, how accountable can we be held for what we say by our employers, especially when it's off the clock, when we're not on work hours? Can we be held accountable for what we say when we're not on work hours, are we, are we constantly a representative of our employer at all times? Now, somebody tweeted this, be abusive in the real world, get caught on TV, outed via social media, fired from good job in 24 hours, quite a thing. It's, it's, it's amazing how what he thought was harmless, how he thought it was uh, funny, how he probably thought it was cool and that people were going, oh, 
Amon's Samoy's side actually didn't end up being that way. Um, he, was, he was called out by a lot of people. He lost his job. He lost his dignity, I'm guessing. And in many ways, he's probably ruined his career as a result of this because nobody's going to go uh, wanting to hire this guy. They're not going to want his name associated with their company or with their cause. Now, now speaking of tweets, it's no longer what we, we say audibly that we could be held accountable for, but it's how, how responsible can we be held for what we tweet, what we text, what we email, what we comment, post, and like. And so the question kind of comes down to is, how important is what we say and how accountable can we be held for it? Now, Scripture says, watch what you say. Over and over in Scripture, it's saying, watch your words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, we're continuing in our series today, and we're going to look at this one. But it says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So the proverb is saying there's power in your words. Your words, they can build somebody up, or your words, they can tear someone down. They can destroy their heart. It can destroy the reputation of another person. So words carry weight. Now, there's been times in my life where people have said some simple words, but they've had a huge impact on me. It's, it's impacted the decisions I've made in my life. I, I've shared before that my plan coming out of high school was to go get my undergrad and then go into pharmacy. That was my plans for life. But I also had some opportunities um, in around high school to to preach and to uh, teach and to work at a camp and in youth programs. And, and some people in those times said, I, I see God using you in that. I see God has gifted you in certain ways. And so uh, hearing those comments, but also sensing God calling me to something else aside from pharmacy, that kind of helped uh, change the direction I, I chose for my life. Those comments kind of reinforced what I felt God was calling me to do at that time. And so words can build a person up, but words can also tear a person down. In our culture, it's not appropriate to fight with our fists, uh, especially as adults. And if you do so, you're, you're kind of seen as, as vicious, juvenile, barbaric, and you can actually be sent to prison if you do it. But, but we, we still feel the need to fight in some ways, don't we? Uh, we still feel the need to to intimidate others, to dominate, to subjugate, to defend ourselves. And so there's still disputes. There are still arguments that we have in this world that need to be resolved somehow. So how do you fight in a culture that does not condone physical violence? We've learned to fight with our words. In many ways, it's perfectly acceptable to fight with your words. We even celebrate people who can fight well with their words. We'll pay them the big bucks to go to court and they'll, they'll defend us. They'll, they'll fight our battle with their words. We pay lawyers to do this. And we begin to battle with our words at a very young age. My son, Seth, is three and a half and he's in that phase where he's using uh, his words. He's exploring what words will do to other people. And so he'll come up to me and go, Daddy, you poopy. 
Daddy, you have a beard. And so this is his, these are his insults. And I, I just kind of play around with them going like, let's not say anything we can't take back, buddy. Those words cut deep. Uh, but we're also at the same time trying to tell them, it, don't, don't try and hurt people with your words. Don't try and tear other people down. Say good things. Now, in my own life, there have been times where people have said things to me that were harsh. Uh, things that stung in that moment, and they definitely tore me down. And the thing is, in that moment, those words really stung. But at the same time, 10 years later, those words still sting today. Um, there, there, was a, there was a guy, I, I mean, we're still friends, but we, are, we had a good relationship. And our, our trust was up here. But then he said uh, a few words to me, and under five seconds, that trust went from here down to here. It was, it was gone. And so we're working on that relationship, but I don't know if it can ever be at that level again because what he said was that harsh. It was that uh, stinging and needless. Now, you, you might be thinking of times where people have said things to you years ago that hurt in that moment, that stung. But even now, when you think back to those words, they can still sting today. And we all know that words can wound and that their sting can last far longer than any uh, physical bruise ever will last. But what bothers me when I read uh, texts like Proverbs 18 and even some of the ones we're going to look at today is that I know it's a two-way street. I know that I've said things to people that have really hurt them that have really stung them, that I've torn them down, I haven't built them up. And I wish in hindsight that I could take those words back, but they're out there, they've done their damage. And so the tongue can build a person up or the tongue can tear a person down. And so the question we should be asking is, how can we build people up with our words? How do we encourage instead of destroying hearts and destroying people's reputations? Now, what, does, what do most people say that their, their mama used to say about their words? If you don't have anything nice to say, finish it. Okay, so everybody got the same advice. And th- that's good advice for children. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But there's times in life, um, especially as adults, where you can't play by that rule. Because if we do play by that rule constantly, the world will be even more messed up than it is right now. I... I uh, I did years of camp. Uh, I worked at Canoe Cove Christian Camp for a number of years. And I did uh, junior high and high school camps. And what would happen is you'd get to about Wednesday. And there was always one or two uh, kids who, who hadn't showered by that time in the week. And, and they also hadn't met their best friend, deodorant. And so um, at that time in the week, they're, they're kind of starting to stink. It's a little offensive to the nostrils. And so you're going, somebody has to say something. And amongst the counselors, you're going, it's going to be you. No, it's going to be you. Nobody wants to have that talk, but it needs to be had. And so how do you go in a nice way and tell the person, um, you stink. <laughs> you need to shower in a way that doesn't hurt. But it needs to be said because you've got to share a cabin with that guy for like four more days. And so somebody needs to say something. And so in life, there are truths that need to be spoken, but they're not fun to deliver. Um, unacceptable behavior that, that demands huge character and a cha- uh, character change within somebody's life. That if they don't change the way they behave, it's going to possibly cost them their job. It might cost them um, relationships. It might even mean, you know what, if you don't change the way you're acting, you're going to have to leave this home. 
What about when there's serious sickness involved? There, there's not a nice way to deliver that news when you're, when you're the doctor telling it to somebody that, that you've got a serious illness, but it's the truth that needs to be spoken. Or when you have to go and tell your family that we're going, through, we're going to enter a difficult season, um, that there's sickness. Not a nice way to deliver that truth, but it is a truth that needs to be said. When somebody passes away, when there's loss of life, not really a nice way to deliver that one. But again, it's a truth that needs to be spoken. You can't not say anything at all about those ones. Even, even when it comes to teaching scripture and, and preaching, um, it's, it's not a ton of fun, to, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not a ton of fun to get up here and talk about sin and then talk about that um, if, if we continue in sin, the wages of sin is death and that if, if you uh, have sinned, you're separated from God and separation from God is physical and spiritual death, which means that those who sin are going to hell. I mean, that's not fun to get up here. It's not, it's not nice to deliver that message. And so if, if I ever get to the point where I'm going, oh, I can't wait to preach that people are going to hell, I'm going to be nervous if I ever feel that way because it's not a nice message to deliver. But it's a truth that scripture says needs to be delivered. Now, thankfully, we get to follow it up with the gospel that Jesus did not come to condemn, but he came to provide a way of escape. But how do you deliver those hard truths when they need to be said? Well, we don't just say them. Uh, A lot of people will say, I don't have a filter. I just think it and it comes out. And sometimes they brag about it. They'll they'll say, you know what? Um, I'm bold. I'm passionate. I'm a truth teller. I just say it as I see it. Sure, sure, that might be you, but you're also a jerk. That's, that's how you're viewed in a lot of people's eyes. Now, Scripture does not say it's permissible uh, or acceptable to hurt someone in the name of truth. You don't just hurt them needlessly in the name of truth. Scripture says that you're going to do your best to build them up to leave them off in a better spot than when you found them. And so when you tell them the truth, what is their state after? Is it actually a win for the kingdom of God? Have you built the person up or have you simply just torn them down and left them in a worse off state? Now, Ephesians 4.15 kind of gives us our MO. Uh, Paul says, speaking the truth in love. And so Paul is saying as Christians, we pursue truth. We speak the truth. And so we don't skirt around issues. We don't avoid hard conversations, hoping they'll blow over um, and that we won't have to have them. And when truth needs to be spoken, the Christian speaks the truth. We speak truth, but Paul's saying, do it in the most loving way you possibly can. So how do we speak the truth in love is the question that would come. Now, James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, it's good advice to start here. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And it, that's good advice. Slow down before you speak. Don't be eager to get the first word in. Don't be eager to get the last word out. Don't respond in anger. And that that's, goes beyond just verbally, but on Facebook or in Twitter or in uh, uh, email or texting, don't respond out of anger. Because when we rush to speak, that's where problems often 
occur. That's where we're creating issues needlessly. I had a friend who was telling me about this time he received a group email and he read the email really quick and he goes, uh-oh, there could be some issues that, from this email that people might have based on what is in it and they're included in this email. And so he reads it and he goes, I'm going to put out some fires before they even start. And he hits reply all and he writes a response and uh, he, he sends it out. And then he starts getting emails back there going, what are you insinuating by your reply? What are you saying about me in your reply? And so uh, he goes back, he reads the initial email, and he realizes he missed some very important details because he, was, uh, he read through it quickly and he hit reply all way too quick. And so he gets these responses, and what does he do again? Reply all, and he tries to backtrack, but then he ends up offending even more people in his response. And so he was just kind of lamenting that he, he caused these issues needlessly, that he, he compared it to as if he saw all these people gathered in a room, he pulled the pin on a grenade, threw the grenade into the room, and then he ran and dove on the grenade and caused all this suffering upon himself needlessly because he was too quick to respond. And this is why the, the brother of Jesus, James, is saying, be quick to listen, slow to respond, and slow to get angry. And so when we go to respond, we need to understand the situation. Understand as much as you can and then know what needs to be said. Now, keep Luke 6.31 in mind when you do this where Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Ask yourself, given what I know needs to be said, how would I want someone to say this to me? And and that's that's good advice even when you have to respond to somebody who's insulted you. Reverse the roles and go, if I had have insulted this person, how would I want them to correct me? How would I want them to rebuke me for what I just said? Unless we've got some major issues, unless we really, really, really don't like ourselves, we'd say we want people to treat us with respect, with, with dignity, with love. We want people to be honest with us. We want to be given the benefit of the doubt that what we said was not intended to create harm, not intended to create issues, that, that we might have made a mistake. And so James is saying, be quick to listen and slow to respond so that you can make sure that you're speaking the truth in a way that will build a person up, that it's not going to tear them down and create more issues. We call it constructive criticism, constructive feedback. But the question is, how do you know that you're speaking the truth? Uh, I mean, we could, we could say I'm speaking lovingly, but you might just be speaking flowery language that really is accomplishing nothing. You could be tickling their ear, is what we'd say. So how do you know that we're speaking truth? Matthew 12, verse 35 to 37. Jesus says this, Good people bring good things out of their hearts, but evil people bring evil things out of their hearts. I promise you that on the day of judgment, everyone will have to give account for every careless word they have spoken. On that day, they will be told that they are either innocent or guilty because of the things they have said. And what Jesus is saying is that people's words are outward evidence of inward character. People's words are outward evidence of inward character, that our words reveal what is going on inside of us. Now, on Friday night, Shannon and I, we celebrated our anniversary, and so we went out to dinner, and then we were going to go see a movie afterwards. And so between dinner and the movie, we were just uh, killing time, going through some shops downtown that we just don't usually go to. 
And so Shannon uh, was looking through some different cards, and she found one. She brought it over. She said, this is funny. And so I read it, and the front cover says, uh, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. And I was like, you're forgiven. Um, but, but it's true that even hunger can affect the way we respond to people. Uh, Snickers kind of has it right when they say, you're not you when you're hungry. But, but think about this. You go to work, and you have a rough day, and, and things don't go well. And so you, you go in, and you're constantly interrupted. Uh, somebody comes in and just, just goes off the handle at you, but you can't respond. Maybe it's your boss or somebody higher up. And then you've got a to-do list at the beginning of the day like, like this, but you don't get anything done on it. And at the end of the day, it's more like this. And so you just have a rough day, and there's no way to vent it at work. There's no way to get uh, that bad attitude out. And so you drive home, you walk through the door, and there's your spouse, or there's your child. And they do one little thing that just annoys you slightly, and then all of a sudden, everything that was in here comes out on them. And they're kind of going, I don't know what just happened here, but I don't think that was me. But needlessly, they, they still walk away and they're hurt. You've caused harm. You've, you've torn down. And then you reflect upon it and you go, you know what, that was not them. That was, that was what happened earlier in the day. That, that's all on me. And so you have to go apologize and, and ask for forgiveness. But what goes on here affects what comes out here. And so our words reveal if our character is more like Jesus's or that of the world's. Our words reveal the state of our heart. Now, Sean Samoys, uh, the guy we talked about at the beginning, who was an employee of Hydro One, he, he was believed to be a representative of the company at all times, even, not, even when he wasn't at work. And they said, you're not representing us well. And so they fired him, and he lost his job as a result of it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says to Christians that you are Christ's ambassador to the world at all times, that you are representing Christ to the world all the time. And so if, if you are a Christian, when you speak and interact with somebody, you're representing God, you're representing Jesus Christ, you're representing the church to that person, whether you realize it or not. And as unfair as it seems, people will often judge all Christians, people will often judge the entire church by their encounter with one person, with one Christian. And I know it doesn't seem fair, but if somebody knows you're a Christian, if somebody knows that you go to church, you are representing Jesus Christ to that person. You've become an ambassador of Christ in their eyes. And Paul says, you know what? That's okay. But every encounter we have with somebody it's either pushing them closer towards Christ or it's pushing them further away from him. And so we need to ask ourselves, are the things that I say, are the things that I do, are they pushing people towards Christ or are they pushing them further away from him? Am I helping to lay a solid foundation so that one day that person might be able to believe and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for themselves based on the things that I've helped do? Or am I actively sabotaging whatever base they might have? Am I chipping away at that base? Now, 
we don't just represent Christ in what we say, but we represent Christ in all things. Um, it's in what we post, it's what we like, it's what we share on things like Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter. And regardless of how funny something is, regardless of how true something might be, if it's full of vulgar language, if it's crude, if it's derogatory, the truth is you're not representing Christ well. Um, I, I'm just tired of blogging on Facebook and seeing Christians with posts that are full of the F-bomb or swearing. And this is a bit of a rant, but I, I can't imagine Jesus, just go with me on this one. I can't imagine Jesus sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father, scrolling through Facebook, seeing a post like that and going, Hey, Dad, look at this one. Isn't it funny? Yeah, it's got the F-bomb in it a few times, but still funny, like. Can you imagine Jesus scrolling through Facebook and he comes across a post that is derogatory towards one sex or the other, towards one race or another, or or some sort of uh, career, and going, that's funny. Uh, Yeah, it's derogatory, but I'm going to share it with the angels because ain't it the truth? That's, That's not happening. That's not beneficial as representing or as an ambassador of Christ. And so, so stick, if you have to share, just stick to cat videos or something like that. Um, you're going to lose some friends and people will stop following you, but you're not damaging the cause of Christ. Now you might be thinking, you need to lighten up, James. It's, it's just Facebook. It's just for fun. But I want to look at James chapter 3, verse 9. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We're going to keep going. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And what, what James is saying here is when, when you've got praise for God coming out sometimes and then at the other times you've got derogatory, uh, vulgar messages, he's going, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up. What are people supposed to believe or think based on that? And so in all things, the Christian is a representative, an ambassador of Christ. And the thing is we've got to represent him well. Now our goal as the church is to see as many people as possible confess that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that they accept him as their Lord and Savior. And the question is, are you pushing people towards him or are you pushing people further away from him? And if you struggle with that answer or you're going, I I know I'm not pushing them towards him, you need to examine what is going on in your heart because what is stored here is what comes out here. What comes out of the mouth is determined by what's in the heart. Now, there are people who have a great filter. Uh, They think it and they're going, I'm not going to say that one because it's not that smart. I've got a decent filter. But the thing is, even things that you think you want to say, but stop yourself from saying is an indication of what's going on in here. And I'm preaching to myself here when I say this. But what if our first thought, instead of being something that would tear that person down, something that would hurt them, what if our first thought could be something good and loving? What if it was the truth? What if we sought to encourage and build others up? What would people's perception of the church and and Christianity be? How could it change? And not only that, how could that change our homes? How could it change our community? How could it change this city? And it is possible. Change can happen happen. 
But we need to understand if change is going to happen, the change needs to start in our hearts first. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What goes in determines what comes out. And so here's the question. What should we be filling up on? If I asked this question downstairs in the class, the kids would have all had it by now. The Bible, <laughs> Scripture. It's a Sunday school answer, guys. Very simple. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so what is stored in the heart determines what comes out of the mouth. And if the word of God is in you, the word of God is what is going to come out. And to be filled with God's word is going to help you to speak truth because God's word is truth. You'll speak what is applicable and best in the situation, but you're also going to be helped in speaking lovingly because you're going to see people through the eyes of the loving creator of the world. Fill yourself on God's word. So I, I want to issue a challenge um, this week. Um, every morning when you wake up, before your feet hit the floor, I want you to pray Psalm 19, verse 14. It says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want you to do that every morning this week and just see if it changes your attitude towards people. See if it changes the way you speak towards people in hopes that we might push more people towards Christ, in hopes that you would be known as a Christian who builds people up, who encourages, who who points them towards the truth. And so what am I asking you to do? One more time. Every morning when you wake up, pray Psalm 19 verse 14. 